Welcome to Beyond the Now, New Coalitions in Socially Engaged Digital Practice. This recording, originally part of Mozilla Festival 2021, builds upon Beyond the Now's Season 2 theme of Mutual Aid. It focuses on digital platforms as experimental sites for socially engaged art practices, digital spaces that reimagine, activate and facilitate cross-border solidarity, creative exchange, inclusion and racial and social justice. Panelists include Will Prescott from the Centre for Countering Digital Hate, Kit Braybrook, Digital Anthropologist and Director of We and Us, and Abdullah Al-Khafri, Dramaturg and Director of Etijihad Independent Culture, with facilitators Anya O'Brien from Counterpoints Arts and Alva Murphy from Create. You're all very welcome um, to this session entitled Beyond the Now, New Coalitions in Socially Engaged digital practice. My name is Alva Murphy and I am the director of CREATE, which is a national development agency for collaborative arts in Ireland. And together with my co-host, Anya O'Brien, who is the uh, curator of learning and research and co-founder of Counterpoints Arts in London, we're really delighted to be hosting uh, tonight's discussion. And before I um, hand over to Anya, who's going to be introducing the speakers and uh, chairing the discussion, let me just maybe give you a brief context to beyond the now. So Beyond the Now is a syndicated social practice platform and um, it aims to open up new creative, cultural and political affinities for a post-pandemic world. And we came together as a partner network last year in 2020 and as well as Creating Counterpoints Arts, the other partners are Etiti Jat in Beirut and we have Abdullah here with us this evening, Co-Culture in Berlin, Open University and Kim is with us here too and Plymouth School of Art in the UK and also Mozilla Festival. So for the partners in Beyond the Now, it really um, is an opportunity to pool our resources to our networks, to bring together different disciplines and skills, to create a space, an open shared platform where we can collaborate, imagine and curate with others. And also very much in the context of how, what our response is in terms of arts organisations to explore the potential and the relevance of social engaged art practice at this extraordinary time um, of the pandemic. And we're really also bringing together critical voices from across our communities and medias, and we do see it very much as a global platform. Uh, to date, we've had two sessions, or sorry, two seasons. The first was on interdependence, and the current one, which we launched just a couple of days ago, is on mutual aid. And we're really looking to explore the potential for new political solidarities to emerge through the context or the lens of mutual aid. And indeed, we're taking uh, very much our lead from Kit Braybrook's contribution to mutual aid. And Kit is with us again this evening. We're delighted. And so, in a sense, the call to action, if you like, for this session is to open a conversation with you all here this evening about creating the conditions for building collective worlds of creativity between and across digital divides. So for us as partners in Beyond the Now, the question that we're inviting you to consider with us here this evening is what form might that take? For example, what might a cooperative digital commission look like? One that is collaborative, one that is virtual, one that is translocal, um, and with an ever shrinking public sphere, uh, one that is actually offering a more democratic space. And of course, in an increasingly fraught and dangerous world, one that allows artists the safe space to do collaborative and participatory social engaged practice. So in this sense, really, this session here this evening is about facilitating speculative conversation to think together about what such a commission might look like and why. 
Um, it's ultimately really about enabling us and beyond the now to create more radical experimentation in the socially engaged art sphere. So with that in mind, I'll hand over now to Anya, who will take us through the next phase. Thank you. Thanks, Alva. Um, and because this is a small group, it's very much um, uh, an inclusive conversation. And as Alva said, you know, we actually don't have any of the answers. We're really starting on a journey now in relation to this question about what would a cooperative commission look like across borders, working internationally, working with different partners, with different practitioners. And, you know, that notion of the trans, trans local in the context of the global. But I suppose part of the framing of this desire to, to embark on some kind of exploratory commission is, you know, where are we positioned in terms of this um, context of COVID and what might we imagine to be a post-pandemic world? So this evening, um, the three panelists are going to speak to that set, those set of questions, but from very different perspectives. So in that sense, we're kind of really interested to hear from you as well about what you've heard tonight and, and how you might bring different things to the table. Um, the the first speaker i'm not speaker person who's going to sort of engage with us is um abdullah abdullah al-kafri um and um abdullah is the director of etijiat um based in beirut but also in brussels um abdullah is the executive director there but also a dramaturg and a theater practitioner and um, there is a context, I think, for what Abdullah brings to the table, and, and I just want to sort of foreground uh, a publication that has come out of our Etijiat uh, uh, literally the last week or so, um, called Art and Uncertainty, Designing Interventions in Times of Crises. And I think what's really interesting about Beyond the Now is that we're all very different partners working in different locations with different sets of questions and different sets of challenges. And I just want to take a little quote from that book, Abdullah, just as a prompt for you to, to chat about some of the questions that we've spoken about in relation to this session. And I start, the widespread use of culture and the arts to engage displaced Syrian communities began in 2013. Since, there, since then, there has been a growing need for frameworks that support the development and implementation of sustainable models to help emerging artistic initiatives uh, in order to enhance the role of arts and social change. Key to this is the design process, what it is, what it might be, the need to create spaces that encourage the development of initiatives and aesthetic models that are capable of responding to the current situation and to the idea of exile. And there was a really interesting way of framing this kind of question of how we design commissions but also how do we design commissions so that they're sustainable, but also how do we design commissions together so that we are embracing this more long-term notion of the idea of exile. So over to you, Abdullah. Anya, thank you very much and good evening, everyone. It's really um, glad to be with you. And as Anya mentioned, uh, maybe this is a small group, so it's really will be about sharing ideas and reflections, which is also at the heart of Beyond the Now. And, uh, uh, I still, uh, I, I just remembered when we started the conversation about Beyond the Now, Onya, I think none of us 
would consider that we will have that we will be still in our apartments uh, after one year from ahead. So this beyond the now, it's really it's still so relevant. And uh, I still remember when the first time I used the word post-pandemic at that time, it was a new term for me even. Now I still believe that it's still uh, a long way to arrive it in a way or other, even with the vaccine. However, there is a, a, there is many other narratives that they came in our reality. And in a way or other, being operating or working from Lebanon, um, the experience of this year about being under the pandemic and using the digital platforms, it, it uh, on the first hand, it come with a lot of uh, solutions, let's say, for dealing with the pandemic, but also it raised more and more questions about uh, the uncertainty, about the safety, about uh, um, about the connection since also being, or I think all of you, you are aware to the context of Lebanon and Syria, where most of our work is coming, which is uh, doubled or tripled crisis in a way or other. Um, so the experience itself or dealing with the digital platform within this context is very um, important because also it raised the question of to which extent we can shift the using of the digital sphere to a kind of public sphere. The public sphere itself in the Arab region and specifically in Lebanon and Syria also is occupied uh, from different levels of powers and also it raised the question of safety and um, um, protection in a way or other. And this is where I believe this year really it helped in a way or other to really look at the work of or the conversation about uh, about the safety and to which extent we can shift the conversation from using digital tools or mediums to consider digital uh, sphere as a really public sphere or alternative public sphere. However, mentioning all of this and link this to the to the context of the pandemic, it raised another question about people uh, who were really for many years under forced lockdown that they are facing in Syria or in Lebanon or other countries in Egypt or in Yemen, and they, in a way or other, they are not, they were not able to communicate or to be connected due to the restrictions on travel, due to the restrictions or uh, mobility, but also due to the control. Uh, from the local authorities, and uh, I think this is one of the uh, of the rare moments where I believed or I, I saw that we can all together being on um, one platform and raising questions about the digital uh, sphere as a public sphere and be connected the same way we do at that. However, also all of this came with an assumption that there is a kind of accessibility for this digital sphere. But in reality, all of us know that 30% of the people around the world, they don't have access to internet. And if they have it, they don't, they, they, there is a kind of limits or, or, or things. Those questions are really at the heart of our work as an organization working to support artists and practitioners. And part of it is about community and community engaged artists in one or other. And we saw like everyone also uh, around the world that there is really a huge challenge when it comes also to, to, to artists. They would like to continue working with communities if the communities do not have the access to the connection or we are not uh, experienced enough to deal with such crises since the pandemic in a way or other, all, all, the, all this one year experience it really destroys 
to, to a certain limit the meaning of the community. So how to bring all of this or how we can in a way or other deal with it, adding to this what I just mentioned at the, the moment about the safety, about the accessibility and about also the need to use the, the digital sphere, not as a tool rather than as a, as a, as a, as a, as a sphere, as a public sphere in a way or other. In this regard, the, the, the same publication only I just mentioned, it came. So when we start thinking of this publication, we really were seeing that there is a lot of interesting um, achievements or contribution from the artists in Syria and Lebanon and other places in the, in the, in the region could be uh, worth to be shared uh, with other places. And also there is a lot uh, from different places, it's really worth to consider and to be shared. This is where we saw, we start thinking of this uh, publication. Uh, while the, the pandemic took a place, we thought we are not going to consider it as a publication to be, uh, to be, uh, to be printed out rather than um, digital publication that it helped us really to look even the content in a different way and think about it in a different way. I will just share the link uh, in the chat uh, specifically. And what is really important for us in this regard that uh, what's next or within such a year, and I'm still resisting to use uh, the term or use the, or putting the situation or this one year as a time to benefit from, I believe it's a really time to escape. However, when we are escaping, there is many good things to take. Maybe they are not, rather, uh, one of them is absolutely the accessibility and also challenging the narrative about the safety and the protection. But beyond that, beyond this now, in a way or other, what we would like to take with us from this, I believe also it's the uncertainty as an entry point for all our assumptions about community, about connections, about accessibility, about safety, but also about uh, really different approaches of conversation with community and with artists. Maybe later on during the conversation, I will share some thoughts, but I'm really keen also to hear from others. Thanks, Abdullah. And that's, I think that's a very good segue and transition into Kit. Kit Braybrook, this notion of uncertainty as an entry, um, uh, an entry point of, uh, into our questions about community safety um, and artists working with and alongside communities of place. Um, Kit is a research fellow at the University of Sussex and director of Studio We and Us, which is a participatory design studio, bringing public institutions and communities together to foster collective futures through creative approaches. Um, we commissioned Kit to write a piece for the second season, as Alva was saying, of the Beyond the Now. And the title of the piece is called Thinking as a We Again, Building Collective Worlds of Mutual Aid and Creativity Between Across Digital Platforms. We recommend everybody to read it. It's a very beautiful but insightful piece. And there's a quote I just want to present from that piece kit, because I thought it really kind of captured some of the things that we're trying to explore here tonight. Um, and, and follow on from some of the things that, that Abdullah has just uh, laid out for us. How can we bring worlds where we think as a we into being? However, when we are forbidden from gathering in person due to social distancing measures and other government regulations, 
what kind of public spaces can be nourished on the internet in a time of big tech, privatization, extremist filter bubbles and government surveillance. Despite the considerable challenges, the possibilities for world building in digital environments are plentiful. And in a post COVID-19 world, the most resilient spaces of mutual aid will be located not only online or offline, but instead, instead blended across both. So over to you, Kit. Sure, thank you. And it's, it's really lovely to be here with you all tonight. Um, sharing this space of digital spaces. So I, I guess in, in my work, I think a lot about how digital spaces like the physical spaces we move through are in fact a social production, which means that they can be intervened in and remade. So I, I often argue that our experiences of the spaces that we interact with is determined in part by what the feminist geographer Doreen Massey referred to as power geometries or geographically uneven power relations that provide some groups with more mobility, agency and access than others. So this means that space is not only experienced as territories on a map, but that the way we imagine space has effects on the ways we use it and move through it. So it also means that our experiences of digital spaces are heavily influenced by intersectional dynamics such as race, gender, uh, ethnicity and class which lead to inequalities that have been thrown, I would say, into quite harsh light here in London recently with um, a lot of protests and police brutality around the disappearance of a young woman, Sarah Everard, who was just walking home alone at night. But I would also say that the good thing about power geometries is that no hegemony is absolute. So that means that power is always in flux and we have it in our collective hands to resist, what, you know, we have the power to resist the dominance of a certain kind of space by transforming space in ways that we want it to exist as and by taking spaces back and in particular digital spaces. So I, I work with activist communities around the world including uh, makers and crafters in China, uh, trans feminist hackers in Europe and they are always telling me that they feel safest when they work across and amongst different digital and physical spaces. So this includes different types of community spaces, different types of co-creation spaces, um, and different types of gathering spaces like, like the space we're in tonight, because this makes it harder for them to be tracked and controlled. Um, in China, for example, I was working with a group of artists who engage in what I have called placeless making, because they uh, work to playfully subvert the censorship algorithms that are built into apps that exist behind the Great Firewall of China, like uh, WeChat, which is sort of, you know, China's version of WhatsApp. And they do this through creative methods, like the exchange of stickers or gifts with um, political messages that are embedded and look like a meme, that actually inside the meme is sort of a subversive message. And I've also seen alternative spaces founded by local communities to provide more inclusive learning and making environments for creative digital experimentation. Um, I often cite the feminist hack space Miss, called Miss Balthazar's Laboratory, uh, and it's in Vienna, and it's actually been running since 2008, and it's still going strong. So I think the more that we amplify and share the existence of these types of alternative spaces for more subversive co-creation to happen, the more we give them power and the more we realize that we too can build spaces like this of our own. Thanks, Kit. Um, and the final um, person to speak or uh, just, just pose a certain set of questions for us is um, Will. Will is standing in for Imran from the Centre for Countering Digital Hate. 
and we'll i mean looking at the the web your website earlier um i thought it was quite interesting in the way that you sort of you know so much compliment but the way in which you sort of situate yourself beside abdullah and kate in terms of what they do and i think you know having you on the panel comes out of a conversation that we had with imran a long time ago about you know how might the center for countering digital hate work with with artists and is that a, a, a viability is that possible how might that happen and and i think what's interesting uh, following on from what kit said about you know this these issues of power geometries um, and how you engage with them or how you counter them is what um, the Center for Countering Digital Hate does. Just a very quick quote. Um, digital spaces forming an important new plane of human existence have been colonized and their unique dynamics exploited by fringe movements that instrumentalize hate and misinformation. These movements are opportunistic, agile and confident in exerting influence and persuading people. And from, from our conversations with Imran, um, he, he explained to us how the center sort of goes after what he calls bad actors uh, in the digital plane and sort of try to push them off platforms and open up other spaces for, for other communities to engage. So perhaps you can give us a sense of what the center is doing and how any kind of conversation might emerge between sort of artists, arts, artists organizations um, and others in relation to the center's work. Yeah, thank you. Um... Uh, so, so I, th I think that's that that's that's a uh, you know a good, a good introduction. I think that um, what we do is 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 quite different, but part of the reason that we work to tackle bad actors who are you know seeking to um, create intolerance and push people off platforms or silence them and and, and create the you know what we often see as being quite um, negative and unwelcoming you know digital spaces. Um, we're really, you know, trying to push back on that, and I think that that's um, the, the work we're doing is is about sort of creating space for digital environments to be much more sort of welcoming and um, uh, places for you know creativity and uh, and collaboration. Um, so uh, I, I think that the challenge posed at the moment is is about how we can you know together sort of carry on and, and, and give support to each other um, you know in in the face of, of this challenge uh, and um, and I think that you know we, we, we need to understand firstly why this is happening and when we set up the center 18 months ago it, uh, initially it was to understand what was going on and, and, and what we saw as going wrong why that was occurring um so we could change our sort of behavior accordingly i think uh, you know abdullah said that the digital sphere is is becoming the the public sphere or, or is becoming the, the public sphere um I, I think that's increasingly true in and um Certainly, you know, understand around the world there are different levels of internet access, but where we focus our work in, in the UK and, and Britain, um, you know, I think it has emerged as an alternative public sphere, but the, the rules of physics for how you engage in society, how you engage in this new public sphere um, are a bit different to um, how we engage with each other in the offline world. Um, and so I think the first step is to, you know, understand those physics and then how we need to adapt our behaviour to ensure that, you know, the, the social norms that we've sort of 
um, been developing, um, particularly over the last century, and how um, uh, you know previously you know oppressed groups uh, have managed to sort of gain a voice for themselves in that offline space. Um, how, you know, we need to make sure that they are you know not that that progress isn't now being um, reversed in in the online world. Um, so. I think just to give you a couple of examples, of what I mean by the, the different physics um, rules of physics. If you, um, you know, if you're with a group of friends and someone says something um, transgressive or, or offensive, uh, you know, in 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 a social setting, um, you might you know feel you know able and, and comfortable to call them out. You might do it if it was a stranger coming up to you in 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 that setting um, to to sort of you know tell that person that that's not acceptable behaviour in in society. Well, in the online world, doing that actually because of the way that social media algorithms um, benefit engaging content, and because of the way um, often the targets for abuse can be public figures with quite large audiences um, engaging with um, things like hate and trolling and abuse um, can help amplify it and make it seem more common, make it seem more normal um, th th than it is. Um, so we need new solutions for um, tackling these, these problems um, and making sure that uh, I, I, what we call small but high proactive, densely interconnected groups, uh, uh, by which we mean um, uh, sort, sort of, uh, uh, to, to give you one example of what I mean, probably easier is we, we found a, uh, a group called the, it was a website in the US called the Daily Stormer, which is a neo-Nazi site uh, that has playbooks for how to uh, get their messages across um, they, one of the things that they teach their activists is to troll public figures, um, because this is how we reach new, um, new audiences and, and get our ideas, mainstream attention in the media. Um, so, you know, they, they do this in lots of ways, um, but essentially social media gives them the ability to appear much larger, much more mainstream than they are. So I think what we need to understand is how um a highly active small community can can have a really really big effect on on social media we know the the sort of bad side do it so i think um part of part of understanding that is to um understand that also on our side we, we can also have a really big impact um if a small group of us work together in a uh you know committed way um, but also understanding that the opposition we face is is often not as um, comprehensive and, and popular as it seems. Um, and then I think from that understanding, we can you know reclaim these spaces and, and and protect them for you know the things that you know at the beginning of the internet and the dawn of social media we all hoped that it would become. Um, uh, so, so I, I think you know broadly that means um, blocking out and ignoring the, um, the, the the sort of voices that we find in opposition to us, um, but also crucially embracing and amplifying the good uh, that we find you know within our community, um, outweighing the the sort of negativity with you know, love and hope and expressions of creativity and, and, and whatever it is that we're seeking to shape social media as. Um, so if, 
you know, if 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 trolling is a form of sort of uh, purposeful communication, then 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 our our response to that has to be to to ignore it and block it because those are the new rules of the you know this new plane of existence, um, and to promote uh, you know and drown it out with 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 what we want to see social media look like to everyone else. Um, so yeah, I hope that sort of made sense. <laughs> Yeah, no, I did. Thanks. That's well, it's really helpful. Um, maybe we can open it now for a conversation and just go around the room. Um, just back to maybe one kind of prompt would be Abdullah's point about, and you raised it as well, Will, and so did Kit, around this notion of the public sphere. Um, what, what do we mean by it? I mean, what do we understand by it now, even in this room? What is our our sense of what a public sphere is. Okay, yeah. Kim? Sorry, I'm struggling with the mute button, which isn't uh, very impressive. Um, hi, everyone. Thank you for all of those presentations. Really, really interesting. I've got more than one question, but I'll just start with one or one response that picks up on what Anya was saying. So <clears throat> um, I think that I'm thinking about what a public sphere, what I would see, how an idea about the public sphere might be framed around the different issues that are raised and the cross-cutting the different different kind of discussions or different statements you've just heard and I'm, I'm wondering something about how kind of criticality sits here um one of the things i guess we're all l looking at in relationship to the points that are being raised and and about wanting a safer internet is partly the fact that it's polarizing potentially as I think Will was Will was describing there, there are kind of polarizing tendencies built into the the kind of digital architecture. Um so I'm I'm kind of wondering, yeah, you know, we're kind of one one strategy for responding to that is to kind of create a positive space. And that makes a lot of sense. You know, it, it kind of affirms a certain type of values, a certain type of atmosphere, you know, that we want to kind of create. But is there a risk that we're still somehow being determined by the role of the troll, you know, which is again its own type of strategy to manipulate and kind of try and, um, you know, create a tension or kind of an economy of tension around certain sorts of polarizing views? uh and hate speech um you know but what i'm trying to say sorry actually I'll, I'll try and make it a bit more clear is that in that need to to counter that with affirmation do we lose a space of criticality you know that there is some need for you know sometimes for tension sometimes for um in, in a fully functioning public sphere for kind of disagreement and is it that that you know i'm just wondering where that sits in 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 this kind of range of, of problems i don't know i guess i'm it's a question for will whether he has a thought on that but obviously for anybody 
Um, yeah, I, I, that's a really good point. Uh, I think the uh, so I, I, I think the the issue really is is sort of what sits behind the actions of people online, which is the structure and and of of the systems, right? So how um, you know what? Why is it that social media um, conversations and, and debates and discussions, which you know are, are crucial in, in democracy and, and liberal societies, uh, become so antagonistic and often you know hateful or, or, or completely dismissive of each other so quickly? Um, I, I, I think looking at it in the round, it's because um, social media algorithms benefit the outrageous and the contentious and the offensive because it that that's what um uh that, that that's what is you know causes engagement more than um you know polite debate uh and you know algorithms are geared to to, to amplify and, and promote through our news feeds the 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 you know the the stuff that's going to gain a lot of engagement that's often not the the what would you promote if you want to promote good debate in, in civil society um but uh that's that's what it benefits um because that's what keeps people on the platform and if you keep users on the platform you can serve them advertising and that's the the business model of all social media um so uh in in an ideal world i think that would be different and perhaps you know at some point down the line that can be created um but for you know really what i was saying was more about what the rules of engagement need to be on on existing social media given the reality of it today but i, I agree ideally we'd have a much more kind of you know the, the ability to talk to each other and, and disagree without um you know, throwing names and, and other worse things around each other. But unfortunately, at the moment, that's quite few and far between, quite difficult. Yeah, thank, thank you, Will. That, that, you know, it's just interesting to kind of just see how that kind of fits with the public sphere sort of um, idea. I'll, I'll step back now, but I might jump back in with some other questions later because I'm, I'm full of them. <laughs> I think, um, Abdullah, do you have your hand up? You know, this is also part of the techniques. Now we have to raise our hands in this way, which is terrible. I'm, 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 I'm dying to be able to do that again in in indirect way, not through like connections when we used to do it. I just would like to add on what, um, what Will mentioned and also part of the conversation uh, referring to what Kim raised, which is, I, I believe it's extremely important and relevant. From my experience, and I'm here sharing just some ideas with you, a very essential part of uh, how our uh, our perspective regarding the digital versus like the physical things in the in my experience in Lebanon or Syria that most of the time we were considering the digital conversation as it's like the alternative one or like the non-formal one. And this is, it was a very important point for us within our relationships to everything we do. For example, if we would like to meet with artists that there is a dangerous of meeting them physicality. So let's do the digital conversation in a way or other, or use all of this. And suddenly we just saw that we don't have any more options at the moment. So this is like the, 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 the new reality. And in a way or other, uh, we, 
we are really as in like informal, we are like non-formal institutions or working with independent artists. We just start to raise questions about which extent the old mediums we use in this digital world is really resemble us our part of our everyday life. Just example, every time we are doing any post in Facebook has the word social, it will be, there is a disclaimer about, okay, we need to review this point and it's banned from publishing things and we have to review and then we have to do a kind of disclaimer for all of this and explain. And it's the same question about all the media we use, to which extent really we got enough time to raise questions about about the rational of it or about the ethical question that is related to that and to which extent we will be able to contribute in this regard to create really at the end an environment that it resembles our standards or our, uh, our way of thinking. We don't have this space yet. I'm always link this conversation to the urge of decolonizing such a space with all the know-how, with all the conversation, with all the space and when I'm saying decolonizing, I'm not talking about East West, I'm talking about really um, formal, that includes like this huge institution and us. This is what really I mean in this decolonizing. It's not anymore about the same geography conversation or geopolitics, because this is one of the interesting things about really how really all our conversation, like even for us, it's becoming within the digital conversation, it's beyond the geography in a way or another, which is, I believe it's important and it's trending and it's really worth to, to reconsider and to look at it when we are considering all of this. Here also, I would like to refer to a very interesting conversation in this regard. Kate, Anya and uh, uh, myself, we had a few months ago about creating a kind of uh, digital fellowship program uh, for protecting artists at risk. The assumption for us, how really to rethink about the concept of safe heaven in a digital way of creating alternative spaces for artists who are at risk and to see uh, how we can provide them in a something, uh, developing a little bit the conversation of the safe heaven that uh, everybody is familiar to and to see where we can use really the, the the, 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 the difficulty of the pandemic in a different way. This is something is still ongoing and I'm just referring to that as a one way of really to contribute uh, to all this, this conversation. The only challenge really, I believe at that level that the, the overwhelming that all of us really is going through. We are not having enough time to observe, look, and bringing this criticality to everything we do. And here I'm referring to do, I'm referring to what we do like as an organization. For example, we took the decision that we will not be sharing any more content as, an, as a free content from artists we support because we have the belief that suddenly there is a, there is a huge need really to breathe out and to look what is really exist and thinking in a different way of engaging the same way and here also I would like to refer to something very specific uh, that one, 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 one year ago there was a beautiful campaign coming from a performing uh, uh, organization, performing art organization about there is a huge need to keep the stage alive. And at the beginning I really like it and then more and more 
I have more concern about, okay, here another concrete example of shifting the focus from something about meeting and engaging to something digital. It doesn't fit the medium of the performing art, but we did not have enough time to raise about, okay, such a slogan about keeping the stage alive. It comes with the huge consequences about the, the content itself, the medium itself, the way of communication, the recipient, but all what I mentioned at the moment also, it requires more time. It seems that it's really hard to resist or to be part of raising question about reflections because nobody has such an experience with dealing with such a pandemic in a way or other. In Arabic, even we don't have a different, a, 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 a different words for epidemic from the pandemic. So it took us really even like quite times to find the right moment to use, okay, what does it mean when we are using this word? So I believe really, uh, I'm, I'm just telling all of this to see, yeah, uh, uh, one of the actions we can consider maybe is really to look about um, how how to have more time for looking at all of this and really to be engaged with it in a critical level to see, okay, what does it mean all of this in this regard and what we will take with us after this experience uh, um, for continue and developing what we mentioned. Thanks, Abdullah. Kate, did you want to follow up on that? You know, given the, the, sure. the application project that Abdullah mentioned. Yeah, I think, I think what, what Abdullah is saying was making me uh, <laughs> sort of recall the, the concept of the temporary autonomous zone or TAZ by Hakim Bey, the sort of old school hacker back in the day. And what he was arguing for was the creation of alternative spaces that were on the go, that were roaming, that were temporary as sort of a response to late stage capitalism where everything online would inevitably be commodified and locked down. So it, as sort of a, a way to, to avoid this, by making a series of temporary autonomous spaces where a community moves between different sort of digital and material forms and, and communities and environments that you are more resilient. So there's something in this, I think today, you know, this is now 20 years after the, the concept of the temporary autonomous zone first emerged, but we are seeing more and more large institutions and community groups alike sort of investing in projects that are both digital and material and that take different forms depending on sort of the geographic circumstances of the project and that facilitate this sort of transnational, you know, cross local collaboration that Abdullah was mentioning. So the, the TransHack Feminist Project, for example, is it's called the Open Source Speculum and it's a part of a DIY women's health technology kit, which has a variety of different technologies that you can fabricate at home to, you know, I guess, be more informed about your health if you feel unsafe in uh, mainstream medical environments for a variety of reasons. And it's now been acquired by the Victoria and Albert Museum in London as part of its rapid response collection because they believe it's a notable artifact which works both in material and digital forms. And so the project's uh, co-founder is named Carl Kinky and she's discussed the, the philosophy behind this sort of digital material co-creative thing that's moving between different communities all the time and continually being redeveloped and always taking on new forms depending on what the communities need. Uh, and she said that 
this, there was a book called the, the Malaeus Maleficarium. You guys know about this? The, the Hammer of the Witches. And it was the best known treatise on witchcraft that was ever written by a Catholic uh, clergyman in history. It was written sometime in the 1400s. Uh, and basically it had extensive instructions on how to kill women who were deemed to be witches. And what Kyle Kinky is saying is that in one part of the book, witches are described as having the power of glamour, but really the power which the church was so afraid of, this power of glamour, was actually a power of knowledge exchange. So the exchanging discourse, of exchanging ideas, of moving between spaces, in this case, alternative spaces for and by women, for sharing and making together. And I would say this is the kind of thing that we are here to rebuild now in this sort of blended digital material territories that we're working within. And these are the most exciting projects that I guess I'm seeing at the moment is these projects that do blend sort of a variety of, of territories and environments to, to co-create. Mm -hmm. Interesting. Yeah. And the notes are interesting as well. Justin has just said that um, he's inspired by Taz as part of his mm. work with festivals. Yeah. But also the, the, the reference that you gave there, Kit, um, uh, he's learned about it from the Pussy Ride video as well. But I, I think it's a really, I don't know what time we've left, Ava. Do we have, are we going to be booted off this platform or how does it work? I'm, I'm not quite sure what happens, but we, we finish it in about 15 minutes. We've got about 15 minutes. Yeah, we're, good. we're good for a while, yeah. yeah. Let me just cluster some of those points and then we can go back around and people can jump in. Um, I, th I think, uh, Abdullah, your, your point, I think, is really well taken with regard to the lack of time to reflect on what Kim is talking about in terms of the need for criticality or to open up spaces for criticality. But in, in, in the period of COVID, but not just COVID, because for you, it's been going on for a long time, for 10 years, right? And that was the whole point of the application. You know, the lockdown has been going on for much longer for other people in other places. So how do we... And this may be a kind of a form of our call to action is how do we how do we create that kind of slowness online where we're creating these spaces that are critically safe to allow for those conversations to to emerge um, and to create that kind of you know autonomous zone that you know replication of these temporary autonomous zones that are networked and that the knowledge transfer can be part of the, the commissioning process as well. Um, so just to kind of kind of get to that point in our in our conversation, because part of our challenge, our, our throw out to to everybody from from ourselves and beyond the now is that obviously we need to really break the model of how we've been doing commissioning. It's it's not working, you know. For some of us, it's not working for a whole range of reasons. Indeed, Oni, uh, I agree with you, and um, I believe uh, we are exploring. Nobody is really experienced with such a with such a challenge in a way or other. Uh, one of the of the few things that we are taking with that uh, we are more and more within the belief that how like the post-pandemic reality, it's really not about coming back to what we used to in a way or other. It's about a different reality. This is, we believe it could be a good entry point for a conversation. And our belief that 
all our assumptions about the the protection and safety narrative they should be revised in a way or other it's it's really something it deserves to be considered what does it mean to be safe or uh, what what's really meaning about the um, the assumption that yeah the protection and uh, the safety and where in a way or other could use all of this as an entry point for more uh, solidarity but solidarity in actions let's say in a way or other where we are see really seeing more and more um, what is happening in 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 uh, in um, in France or in Brussels, where I am here, it, it, it resembles what's happening in Beirut or in Damascus or in Singapore. I, so I, I, I believe really we have an opportunity here in really seeing that, yes, at the end, all of us saw or witnessed or had the experience despite the, the fact that it affects others rather than others. So I believe this, this could be something we can consider and it might help us really to shift all the work we do if we are doing that within art or culture or in architecture or in social engaged practice about really putting the efforts to deconstruct the injustice that is more and more affecting everyone. I, I believe it, this is, could be one entry point for the something. The other thing for us really in, in the organization where I'm working is really to find a, a balance between doing some relief action work and then seeing, okay, this is relief action work. It should be lead to something else more effective or more useful or more something to build about the statue of the artist, to build about protection methods, to build about uh, alternative ways of working. Um, but also something we are more and more working on really is really to evaluate and to appreciate the process in anything we do. This is something it's always important when we are working with communities about really appreciating and looking and understanding the process. But more than that now, we believe it's really about time to see that it's all about the process. It's all about really to think in engaging way and to reinvent what we do. And by saying what we do as an organizations, as institutions, and also as an assumption for our role as a civic society organization in this regard. So this is just some thoughts in this regard. Yeah, thanks, Abdullah. Amna? Uh, yeah, I was just thinking, yeah, I'm just uh, listening to all the conversation and uh, there are so many things coming in my mind. But one thing which I'm critically thinking, like there would be some in this practice, people who are not technically trained, something like younger or very older and some have technology phobia, they don't want to learn. So I think even though they would be skilled and they wanted to get involved, so I think another aspect is like how to train those kind of people uh, so that they couldn't be get alienated with this kind of thing, even not as a uh, artist who is in a community, but a community who want to get interact with the artists. Mm -hmm. So I think um, a part of the society in this way get alienated by these kind of projects or something like that. It was just, I was just thinking about. Thank you. Thank you. I, I was just um, 
a lot of what you were speaking to, Kit, really, I think, challenges, sets, sets a, a series of challenges in relation to this question of, let's say, commissioning, because what we're getting a strong sense of, and it's what's really interesting, and it's why we're here in MOSFEST, is that sense of, you know, the agility or, you know, temporary autonomous zones or the principle of open source, that sense of diffused practice, um, high degrees of cooperative work, great solidarity across networks. And for me, what, what I, and I think for us in Beyond the Now, as we're thinking about these modes of commissioning, it, it requires and demands a certain diffusion of a sense of ownership that comes with the commissioning process by and large, which may emanate from a large, let's say an art institution or like a sense of kind of um, the cultural capital that comes with a particular artist or a particular, the monumentalization of the commissioning process as it were. So I think that, I think what's really interesting for us to be in this sort of these kinds of conversations and discussions is that it really, we really have to rethink that model and we have to think about how it is that we create the conditions for that kind of porous, diffuse, um, creative work that works across networks that isn't recognizable perhaps in the same way as a more traditional commissioning uh, models. And, and, and I think this is really interesting. So, so, so you know, to, to Abdullah and to, to Kit and to Will indeed, in terms of like, how do we create these safe spaces? Um, these are very pertinent questions for any of us in either small arts organizations or, and for all of us in those small arts organizations, we, our paths inevitably cross with large scale arts institutions, which of course work a lot more slowly. Um, so I, I think there's a lot that we have to rethink based on some of these questions in good ways and very challenging, enriching, uh, dynamic ways. Mm. Uh, Kate. Yeah, just really quickly, then, yeah. then Kim, you should ask your, your question. But I guess I, I was just sort of riffing off what, what you've just said, that it really does feel like right now we, we've, we have a year of learning under our belts. You know, we've, we've all experimented now with various types of digital tools and spaces that maybe we weren't so comfortable with at first, and now we're sort of old hands in, you know. But by virtue of being here in this space, sharing a Zoom together, we're already so much more privileged than so many people who, who have not gotten to this level yet of sort of digital fluency. And I think therefore we have quite a responsibility to keep experimenting, you know, to, to keep learning more tools whenever you, you hear about a new gathering space or a new platform or a new app that, that might work for your communities to try it out. Because eventually we will, we will all have sort of, I guess, a toolkit of various spaces and platforms that we can use for different communities we work with that will feel safe for them. And I think the more we're aware of, the more we'll, we'll reuse and the more we can share. And especially when they're open source tools, the more people that use them, the better developed they will be. So yeah, I, I personally am always trying to learn more, more new platforms and there's always more to learn. Kit, I wonder, could you put the link into your COVID resource kit, the toolkit? Oh yeah, so the, the COVID Creators Toolkit is a good example of just a bunch of people getting together who were trying to experiment with digital tools to put all of our practices online as creative practitioners. And yeah, it's a, quite a nice resource now, which you're all welcome to add tools or things to that, that you use that you see aren't on that list. Because yeah, the more lists we compile, the better, I think, to keep sharing our knowledge. Great, thank you. 
Kim, you got a question? Yeah, sure. I, I mean, I think, I've, as, as I said before, there's loads of, I think there's so many interesting things that are coming from this conversation. Just to pick up on one, um, perhaps following on a bit from what Kit was saying about some of the positives that have can be drawn from this discussion and from the types of experience of digital digital engagement that we have become more familiar for many people over the last year. I was just reading a tweet today by um, Zainab uh, Tufeki, who's um, the, 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 I think she's a digital anthropologist too. Is that right, Kit? Digital anthropologist, I think. The, yeah, and um, but she was just making that point and saying something that seems a bit difficult at this point because it's a tragedy because it's been a tragic and continues to be a tragic event globally and it's an event and and the tragedy affects is affecting the most vulnerable people most severely but at the same time those kinds of collaboration that have emerged from it especially around the, the vaccine apparently and i didn't realize this is, is is pointing the way to all sorts of other possibilities in terms of medical advances you know because because they've managed to achieve something that, that people weren't sure was possible but they did it because there was a different measure of kind of collaboration that was made possible by the crisis um so i mean that's a it's a difficult perspective because it's an optimistic perspective in the middle of something that's really tragic at the same time um and i'm not trying to advocate for that in a in a really you know simplistically oh that's a good thing kind of way but rather to draw attention perhaps to to something maybe something that, that kind of I, I read in abdullah's in the um, art and uncertainty thing that struck me is important there what it was saying about crisis and and there's a passage in there that talks about you know that maybe the crisis situation in Syria is and I haven't got the exact text here I'm paraphrasing but I can read it out if necessary but but it's, it's a sense of a place where things can be learned that are relevant to the whole world right mm -hmm. because because of the intensity of that crisis, because of the difficulties that artists are encountering there, because of the div divides that they're they're trying to trying to cross, just to paraphrase rather you know incompletely, uh, anyway, you know. So I'm just kind of wondering whether there's there's a sense here in which we are you know we're talking about a, something that we need to bring from crisis right through this through this medium this digital medium that is something at least that creates a kind of a strangely kind of trans trans local kind of space that we're all engaging with and we run out of time sorry are we going to be I, i'm sorry too because i ended up saying speaking long. this is the problem with technology all the goodbyes that take forever at least in ireland at least in ireland they do doesn't work <laughs> you're just gonna pushed off the platform is that the case Alba? are we going to be pushed off do we have to finish I, do, I don't know what happens um i don't know what happens but we're at our we're at our 21 15 so we're, we're yeah. we do get bumped off you know why yeah just just on that point i think it just back to abdullah i don't know abdullah whether you could point us to that most recent piece of work that you produced in etijat along with others 
um, I've forgotten the title of it, but it's about that kind of space between tangible and intangible heritage, which is a term that's used a lot. But it's a very, I just saw the clip of the film and it's extraordinarily moving because it's kind of an elegy for, for a lost world, but also an embrace of a new world. Um, Thank you, Anya, for this. Yes, it's um, it's one of the way also where we thought, okay, if we are talking about uh, it's 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 a web series that will come in uh, in uh, ten episodes. I will put the link now about the intangible cultural heritage in Syria, and it's also a way of preserving part of it because we were seeing all the time there was a huge focus on the tangible heritage. However, nothing related to intangible heritage is talking about. And we, we thought maybe a one way of um, or exile organization, learning from the exile to see, okay, what we can bring um, um, as an alternative in these things. So we record different things. And this is another way of really, we can think about how we can contribute to, uh, to, to benefit from the digital reality in a way or other in a, in, in, in a context that is usually it's not used for that. I will put the links, it's coming very soon. It will be translated also with interpretation into English and uh, all the material we use, of course, it's under the Creative Commons uh, license for, so it's uh, accessible. Thanks, Abdullah. I think we've we've reached the end of our conversation because people are leaving. Um, it's been really interesting, nicely slow, but also enough time, I think, to kind of come away and think about the next actions. I'm not quite sure how we, I think the best thing to do, we were talking about this earlier, um, is that people stay in touch with Beyond the Now. We have, you have the link there in the, in the chat. Um, uh, we don't quite have a definitive action, although, although I do think we have a, a, a semblance of an action here, which is, you know, the, the revival of, of what was the, you know, the, the temporary autonomous zone as a kind of multiplied space to facilitate a slowing down of our, our thinking and of our doing. Uh, that is translocal, but also enables us to share skills, knowledge, ways of ways of doing, without anything being too concrete or, or us having to rush to the finish line. Um, but I am struck by Abdullah's point about you know the need to radically change almost everything: um, the architecture, the infrastructures, the civic society. The, the whole the whole gamut um Alva, did you want to finish on anything well i just i just want to say thank you to um abdullah to will and to kit um it's been really rich it's been really a really even though our paths have crossed off and just it's great to be able to hear you speak to these questions in this context so thank and thank you to everyone who's joined us for the conversation and as anya said stay connected to beyond the now take care everyone <laughs>